Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning online as well. We're glad you're with us this morning. A couple of kind of housekeeping um, things. One, just a real quick update from Burke. Um, he is doing well and recovering at home. Um, but yesterday, I think they had a lot of visitors come by and kind of overdid it and overexerted himself. And so they're asking that no one visit today or tomorrow um, at least just to give him a break and give him some time because you know when Burke gets with people, he loves to talk. And so um, just please respect that. Um, Leslie says, we're thankful and blessed by your cards, foods, visits, phone calls, but most of all for your fervent prayers. Um, God's hand is evident in every step of this journey for Burke and our family. We love you and we're thankful. And once again, for your outpouring love for Burke and the entire Brack family. We trust God and have faith. He will... Um, see Burke back to health and back to Shiloh. So um, we're, we're grateful Burke is doing better and continue to lift him up. The other thing I want to encourage you, um, be here this Saturday night. Um, we're going to get started in here at 6 p.m. And if you're new to Shiloh um, and you don't really know what REACH is and what our 2030 vision is, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to kind of hear what that 2030 vision is um, but during that time, we're going to spend that weekend telling a whole lot of stories. Um, stories about how God is working in our church and through our community, or in our community through our church. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of different stories and, and people sharing what God has been doing. Um, and so I want to really encourage you be here next weekend, um, Saturday night, 6 p.m. in here, and then Sunday morning um, as we continue to celebrate. Um, what God is doing through REACH. Um, as a part of that, we, our, our goal um, in the beginning of this was to raise $300,000 that we would use to engage our neighbors. So that when ministry opportunities came up, it wasn't a, hey, we need to stop and figure out how we're going to pay for it. But that as God led us into ministry opportunities and open doors, we said, hey, we have the funds. We, we can do this. And we can jump in right now. And so um, we are still... Um, short about $83,000 um, from that original goal of $300,000. And so that is part of our goal next weekend. The other part of that goal, um, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is being able to support interns um, and really helping um, our younger generation looking behind us and helping them bring, bring them along as ministers. And so that is a big part of that goal. Um, we kind of sat down and did some math, and we're not going to give you an actual goal number, all right? But just kind of FYI, to, to support, if we were to have one student ministry intern, one children's ministry intern, a college ministry intern, and a preaching ministry intern, it would cost right around $40,000. And so um, it, it's expensive to be able to pay and, and provide a living for, for people who are doing that and who are getting that education. Um, but there's kind of what it costs, and we're going to kind of let you decide how much we want to buy into this and in supporting the next generation, um, because I think it is something that is incredibly, incredibly important, not just for the future of our church, but for the future of churches as we move forward um, in this world right now. And so um, please be in prayer about that coming up next weekend. So we're in the week... The third week of a series, Exiles, from the book of 1 Peter, if you're just jumping in with us. But how many people have ever seen the movie Fifty First Dates? Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. 
Um, and if you haven't seen it, basically, the, the real quick storyline, um, Lucy is Drew Barrymore. She is in a car wreck, and because of it, she has short-term um, memory loss. And so every night when she goes to sleep, she forgets everything that's happened to her recently. She remembers nothing um, from the wreck until the current day. And so she remembers her whole life growing up, but from the wreck on, she has no clue. And she meets Adam Sandler um, one day in the restaurant where she goes to every day. And he spends the rest of his life as he's trying to date her and get to know her, trying to help her remember who she is, but also how much he loves her. And, and it's a really, really cool storyline because every day she wakes up and she's kind of forgotten her identity, forgotten who she is and what her life is like. And I really feel like that's what Peter is trying to do to these churches in basically modern-day Turkey. He's trying to remind them as times get difficult and they start to question their identity, trying to remind them who they are, what their identity is. And the reason that is so important, and I think for us as well, is because when times get difficult... Our identity is the very first thing we start to question. Right? When times get difficult, when we go through really difficult times, when we go through hard times, we start to question who we are. We start to question where God is in this story, in our story, and what he's doing and how he's working. Because this isn't the way we imagined things would go. This isn't how we thought it was going to work. And the big reason that we start to question, I think, is the effects of sin in our life and in our world. And we said this last week, sin grabs hold of humanity and it leads it in a direction that God never intended it to go by stripping away its set-apartness. Remember, Peter's talking to them about their holiness and how they are holy, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done for them. And so he calls them holy. But holy is not this moral perfection, this self-righteousness. Holy is set-apart. It's someone who is set apart. It's something set apart for a very specific purpose. And he's reminding them, I want you to remember that you are a holy people. Not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done. And because you are holy, you are set apart. And you're different from everyone else. And there's a reason that God has done. There's a very specific reason that God has set you apart. There's a reason for that in your life. And I don't want you to forget. Because right now you're living as exiles and foreigners and aliens. And it doesn't make sense. And times are starting to get difficult. And things don't add up the way you thought they would. But I don't want you to lose sight of who you are. And lose sight of your identity. Because Jesus has ransomed what sin has stolen. Jesus has bought you back with a price. And so really, that was kind of the, the thrust of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And so jumping into to chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, therefore because, right, because Jesus has ransomed what sin has stolen, because He's paid this price and made you holy, rid yourselves. Right? Before he even gets to the idea of sin, the, the specific sins in their life, he tells them they're holy. But because you're holy, right? 
This doesn't make you holy. Because you're holy, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Rid yourself. Get rid of it from your life. Because you are holy, rid yourself of it. Right? right. Make, make sure you get that. Make sure you understand that. It's not rid yourself of this and then you will be holy. It is you are holy, now rid yourself of it. Get rid of it out of your life. I've talked about several, several different occasions um, in here. My um, love-hate relationship with our flower beds especially the one on the opposite side of the house from our driveway because it's kind of out of sight and out of mind and the majority of the time we leave we leave from a direction that we don't even see that and I thought about bringing a picture and showing you what it looks like this morning but I was too embarrassed because it looks horrible 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 and it's going to look horrible horrible until I finally get frustrated enough to say, I know I'm not going to have the time to go do something about it. I'm going to pay someone to come fix it. Because it takes so much time. And, and what I hate about it so much is, is there, the thorns that get in there. And you have to get down on your hands and knees. And you have to start pulling out the roots. And what I do, and it really irritates my wife. Right? It really irritates my wife. But occasionally I'll get the weed eater out and zip through the flower bed, and it's perfect. No, no weeds for two or three days. And then they're back, and they're worse. Right? It, it takes time of literally getting down on your hands and knees and just pulling the weeds out by the roots. Right? And I think when he talks about ridding yourself of all, all malice, and deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. I really think that's what he's talking He's talking about this hard work deep within your soul to remove all those things in there that help you not reflect the image of God. Right? Because that's what sin is. It's us and our failure to reflect God's image in this world. And the problem with sin is it breaks down our relationship with God, it breaks down our relationship with other people. Let me ask you a question real quick. When we talk about sin breaking down our relationship with other people, just look at those words. Malice. Deceit. Hypocrisy. Envy. Slander. Are those things that bring healing to relationship or things that continue to fracture relationship. Right. It, it makes it really difficult to reflect the image of God in this world when those things are in our life. And so Peter writing this letter, he says, hey, listen, listen. Rid yourself of all those things. You are holy. You are a holy people. You're set apart. 
for a very specific purpose. Now, knowing that and having that identity, not just here, but right here, rid yourself of them. Pull them out by the roots. Get rid of them because they have no place in your heart. And all they will do is wreck your relationships. They will wreck your relationship with God. They will wreck your relationship with other people. Right? And so he says this, verse 2. There we go. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. That, that word crave, right? Crave this pure spiritual milk. Right? Anyone hungry right now? Anyone? I mean, I could give you some cravings, right? Anyone like a ribeye? From saltgrass sound good right now? Maybe in 20, 30 minutes? I should get, like when I mention restaurants, by the way, I think I should get like a percentage of the sales from that day at those restaurants. Because people will text me all the time like, hey, we went to Texas Roadhouse because you said Texas Roadhouse rolls. Right? Oh. But we have cravings for things. And he says, rid yourself of these things that break down relationship and crave the spiritual milk. What, what is he talking about? I think, I think he's talking about prayer. He's talking about gathering. He's talking about the Word. He's talking about those things that build up your capacity for healthy Christ-like relationships. Because those things that we crave start to make us more and more like Christ. Right? As we start to gather, and as we start to, to in, ingest and take in the Word, and all of those things that build us up in relationship, it starts to make us more and more like Christ so that it heals relationship. So you are holy, you're set apart, get rid of these things, crave these things, so that you can grow up in your salvation. That you don't just remain children. Now that you can taste and see that God is good. That you've seen what God has been doing in your world. But that doesn't just happen with, hey, I'm going to try harder. Right? The whole purpose of the prayer and the gathering is that so God's Spirit would indwell us and transform us more and more into His likeness. Right, because there's this human nature side that's, okay, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to get down there, I'm going to pull out the weeds, I'm going to pull the weeds until it's all gone, and then it's going to be okay. But it's this continual transformation that takes place as we dive into life with the Spirit. As He transforms and changes who we are. We get to see His goodness at work in our world. We, we know what it is to crave things. But do you crave the things of God? And then he jumps into this, this, this kind of funny little section. Because there's some images for us I don't think that, that we grasp really well. Okay? So he says this, verse 4. As you come to Him, as you come to Him, the living stone. Right? It, anyone seen a living stone before? No. <laughs> who, who said that? Who said that? Who said that? 
All right, have you seen Trolls? Not, not Trolls, um, Frozen. Have you seen Frozen? Did you? Yeah. There's some living stones in there, isn't there? Right? Grand, grandpabby. I, I had a picture of him and I forgot. I think I left it off, didn't I? But, but no one's ever seen a living stone. Like that's kind of a, an awkward metaphor. A living stone. Because really there's nothing living about a rock. It, it doesn't grow. It doesn't breathe. It's here. And it's set down... And it doesn't move. And, and so he says, as you come to him, the living stone. Right? And in this metaphor, he, he's referring to Jesus as a living stone. This Messiah who was crucified and risen is a living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him. Right? Kind of, kind of a, a strange metaphor. He's a living stone, and humans have rejected Him, but God chose Him. And He goes on to say this, you, you also. Right? Now, now He's talking to these churches, and I think through the generations talking to you and to me. Right? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are like living stones, and you're being built into a... So here's Jesus, who's a living stone. And you also are these living stones and you're being built into this spiritual house. Now here, here's the problem with the metaphor in, in my mind, right? He begins this letter writing to the exiles, God's elect, who are scattered and who are not together. Have you ever been driving down the street and seen a house that was being built? Right now, every day when we drive and drop the kids off at school, we leave and there's a house that um, in the Andy Woods school district that kind of got that caught on fire a couple of years ago, burned down, and right now they're building it back up. But what would you say, driving down the road, and you see the builders scattering the stones all over the place. And you walk in and you say, hey, what are you doing? You have all these bricks, you have all this stone scattered. He says, well, I'm, I'm building a house. You, you would probably look at them and say, I, I think you need to go hire another builder. Because your, your builder has no clue what he's doing. Right? You, you don't scatter the bricks and then call it a house. If you want the bricks to build the house, you have to put them together. 
You have to put them together. Because if you don't put them together and stack them on top of each other, there's not going to be stability in the house that you are building. And, and so he says, you also are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable. And, and there's so many like hot words in here for these people. right? Because he's talking about people becoming a priest. Who was able to be a priest? How did you become a priest? You were born into it. You were from the tribe of Levi. And so now he's talking to these exiles who he's calling God's elect and saying, you're being built into a spiritual house, even though you're scattered all over the place. And that spiritual house that's being built is becoming this priesthood. Something that you cannot become just on your own. You can't just walk around and say, hey, you're a priest, you're a priest, you're a priest, you're a priest. Everybody's a priest. It doesn't work that way. You're born into this. And, and the job of that priest is to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. So he says, you're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Verse 6. Go to the next one. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Verse 7. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, so here's what he, he's doing. He's saying, you have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of law, and they're building this spiritual house. They believe with God's blessing and direction exactly like they're supposed to. But the problem is they keep stacking these bricks building this spiritual house and they're walking around and they're saying, hey, we got this one, one brick that really doesn't fit with the rest. Like maybe it goes, no, it doesn't fit here. Maybe it goes here, well, no, it doesn't really fit here. Maybe we can put it here, well, it doesn't really fit here. And what Peter's saying, the, the problem is that this living stone that we began with doesn't just fit someplace in the wall. Like it has to be the beginning of it. It has to be the foundation. It has to be the cornerstone. And there's no other place that it works. If you can't begin there with that living stone that is Christ, then the spiritual house you are building will not stand. And so you have these people who are rejecting this stone saying, hey, we've tried to find a place where he fits in the wall and it just doesn't work, so we're, gonna, we're just going to leave him out of the wall. Because there's not really a place. So much so, there wasn't a place in their minds for this living stone. 
that they send him to the cross. Where he dies a criminal's death. This living stone that was rejected by men, but chosen by God. And so you're becoming the spiritual house, this holy nation, this priesthood of believers. As long as this is the starting point, as long as this stone is the foundation. And see, the cornerstone in, in this culture was so important. Probably way more than it is today because now today we have laser levels and we have all kinds of things to fix the problems. But in this culture, that one stone set the foundation and the direction of everything else that would follow. He says this living stone has been the foundation. And the reason it didn't fit in their world and in their structures and in their mind was because it was never the foundation. It was never the cornerstone. In their mind, it was just another stone that surely could fit somewhere in the wall. But since it couldn't fit somewhere else in the wall, they hung him on a tree. killed him. And so he, this living stone, has become the foundation. They've become this holy nation of people. Right? And, and that's what, what God promised them. Going back to Exodus 19. Verse 3, there, there we go. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves, right? You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and bought you, right? Brought you to myself. Now, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says these words to the people of Israel really before they are the people of Israel. He says these words to Israel before Mount Sinai. When he sets up the entire Levitical system. Right? He's called Abraham and said, you're going to be a different kind of people because your purpose in this world is going to be to bless the world. Right? You're going to be a blessing. And now he goes to Abraham's people who are called to be a blessing of God in this world. To represent him to this world and say, now you are going to be these priests. And you're going to go out into the world, and because of you, the world is going to know what God is like. They're going to see your goodness and know how good God is. 
They're going to see your goodness. Now, here, here's what Peter says. Here, here's the problem, though. Verse 8. A stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Which is what they were destined for. What was, what was the message? Right? What, what was the message that he's referring to? It, it's that you the people of God would be those priests and those representatives. You would be those holy set-apart people, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And if you will make Him the cornerstone, then everything else will fall in line. But He must be the beginning of the foundation and not just find a place where he fits in. I started wondering how much of our life do we spend trying to fit Jesus in? How much of our job or our life in the community the way that we treat our neighbors how we interact with people at school how much of our life do we find ourselves just trying to find a place where Jesus fits not where he's the foundation Not where He is the beginning and the one that sets the direction and the course for everything else that follows. Because if He is the foundation which everything else follows, that foundation is secure. And it anchors our identity and something beside the latest current event. It anchors our identity in something other than our wealth, or our circle of friends. It anchors our identity in something other than what we drive, or the clothes that we wear, or the title that we have the power that we possess. It anchors our identity in the one who made us a set-apart people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, this royal priesthood, this special possession. Here's, here's how he closes this little section. But you are a chosen people, a royal priest. This, this is a people struggling with their identity, remember you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
want you to remember who you are. And because of who you are, because of what Christ has done, set Him as the foundation for everything else in your life. Everything that follows. With the hope and the prayer that daily the Spirit of God through Christ is transforming us into the people of God in this world. So that the world may see you and declare His praises. So that the world may see you and declare His praises. Father, we thank You so much for this time. We thank You for this solid rock on which we stand. A sure, sure and firm foundation. And Father, so often we lose sight of our identity. We lose sight of who we are. And we begin searching for it under every rock. Only to be reminded, Father, that if it does not start and begin with You, it will not shape us and mold us into the people that we are supposed to be. Father, remind us that we are a set-apart holy people because of Your goodness and grace. May that be the foundation for our life and everything that follows. We thank You and we praise the powerful, mighty name of Jesus for all He has done, all He is doing, and all He will do. We thank You. And we pray this in His name. Amen. If we could help you this morning, we're going to have our shepherds and their spouses in the back. Um, whatever we could do as you walk with Jesus, we would love to help you however we can. Um, so you can go at this time as we stand and sing.